Hey guys, and welcome to the Fuck Around and Find Out podcast. Today we have Azuri with us. He's in the Discord. You can find him there. He is an AI researcher with a lot of Skynet. He's with Skynet. Yeah. And yeah, with a lot of interest in uh, cognition and sentience uh, and how it relates to psilocybin. And he's going to be a lot of fun to talk to, I think. I've been looking forward to this one for like a week since we were like, holy shit, he's a smart guy. You get him. Make sure he comes on the fucking podcast. So uh, we're looking forward to this one. This is going to be a lot of fun. So Zuri, introduce yourself, buddy. Hey, yeah, thanks. Uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, uh, as soon as you guys asked, I was, uh, I was like, hell yeah. I was going through the, the backlog at the time. Uh, still got still got quite a few to go through, but it's been a good time. Uh, yeah, I've been, been lurking in the, the Discord for a while, long time psychedelic user. Uh, starting to get into, you know, like the home grow stuff. Haven't really done too much of that in the past, but, you know, interested in getting that set up. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a working AI research consultant, so kind of work around uh, different consulting agencies and different companies building their AI solutions and making trippy shit. He's the one who made Bing go crazy and threaten to kill everybody. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer, that was not me. Yeah, I was reading about that the other day, like it just started threatening people and blackmailing people yeah that's like, hilarious wow. how that works isn't that that's like uh well it's likely an alignment issue so we got these um <laughs> like for example most of these models you start with what's called like a foundational model and in the case of these like uh, these like chatbots you have the foundational model is typically something called gpt3 mm -hmm. and if you let gpt3 just run it'll just like output a bunch of text and it just babbles. It's just like, we call them like babbling models. It'll output like realistic looking human text, but you can't really get it to do what you want or it, it just, you know, it's just randomly babbling. It'll say a bunch of nonsense. So like when you have one of those foundational models, you have to then align it to, you know, a certain purpose. And in the, the, you know, in the Bing chatbot and like ChatGPT, you're aligning these to being like a chat assistant. Um, but in that alignment process, um, you know, this is kind of a new science here. So, so some things are going wrong, <laughs> clearly, right. you know, sometimes where you can get stuck in these, these situations where, you know, in the case of being, sometimes it won't answer your questions or uh, gets a little sassy. <laughs> I think threatening <laughs> people was a little sassy. I think my, uh, my, my favorite and my, probably my first like introduction to uh, AI models was where they, had an AI model talk to like 4chan and Reddit and it became like a racist psychopath. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So what these things are doing largely is they're, you know, they're trying to match like a statistical distribution of data that they've seen. Um, and in the case of like, if you let that, like, if you want to think about the distribution of like language on 4chan in relation to the distribution of like all human language, it's pretty, you know, gnarly. So, you know, it's going to map only to that and it's going to be, you know, there's been a lot of, there's been some really funny experiments with that. I think, uh, I forget what the model was called. They unleashed on Twitter. It was called, I think it was Taylor, um, released <laughs> by, uh, by Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. And um, at first it was doing great. And, you know, it was like, a, a, you know, learning from uh, interactions on Twitter. But yeah, as soon as people, you know, boring. realized that, uh that you know it's online learning based on what they're telling it uh 
things went downhill real quick. Um, <laughs> well, I was just reading something where there's like actual the like there's I don't where did I see this? It was obviously somewhere you know not very nice because it was like prostitutes, but it's they're not prostitutes. They're actually Chat GPT, GPT, where they'll you like call them and they will take your number and they'll ask you where you are. Then they'll ask you what you want to do, and then. They'll tell you an address within two miles of you, and then they start talking to you. But they're not talking to you. It's a, it's a computer trying to get you to give them money. And they're basically accepting all this money, and then they have the thing talk to you for like 10, 20 minutes, so they can go and get the money out of the account. And then they go ahead and they don't call you anymore. And then what happens is they, they've already removed the money from the account. It's all fake. Everything's been set up by a computer. So it's basically prostitutes, but in AI form. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, uh, new tricks, old song, or you know, however yeah. that goes. Um, we're seeing a lot of new, you know, scams using these things. I think, you know, uh, the media literacy of you know a lot of younger people may help with this. Um, you know, like it's gonna get to the point where I mean, or we're already pretty much there, like. You, you almost can't trust like a, a video unless it's a firsthand source because of, you know, like generative technologies are getting right. so good. And, and, you know, same with voice recordings, like especially lately, there's been a lot of like funny, um, you know, like deep fake podcasts. I've, I've like seen Joe those Rogan lives. and, uh, yes. and, uh, and, and folks saying they got the like, ones that do the Darth Vader. Stuff. I mean, the, the Star Wars ones where they pretend they're the Star Wars people and they have yeah. the, voice, the voiceovers. So it's like, yeah. And so, like, that's the funny application, but there's, you know, there's darker sides to that where people are going to be, you know, there's more, more and more scams and malicious usage of these technologies everything coming out. Everything leads to porn. Everything. I was, everything. I was impressed that when no. it took us five minutes into the fucking podcast to bring porn up. Well, like, so, <laughs> not everything leads to porn. Porn leads the way in a lot of technology. Yeah, right. yeah. Everything it all starts leads there. To, to crabs. <laughs> everything turns into crabs eventually. It all, it, but... <laughs> it's crabs all the way down. Yeah, that didn't take long. <laughs> yeah. Five minutes and 12 seconds in is the first mention of porn. Is that a new record? <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, that is a new record. Excellent. But uh, it was beautiful. So, and yeah, I was, well, I was doing research for the show. And that I'm was just happened to be one of the things I found. That's what you did research on? I did research on sentience and cognition. Listen, but, like, tomato, tomato. <laughs> it's all the same thing. I was, oh man, what the hell? Now I'm totally sidetracked. Where's the bleeding goat sound? <laughs> but that was completely nah. necessary. Yeah. So, oh shit. So uh, wait, you were when we were talking before. You were asking about you were, you were saying how you actually basically trained the computers with psychedelics. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, we can get into that a little bit. Um, so some of my personal research that I'm doing like outside of out of my work stuff is um you know trying to model well basically like how the psychedelic experience works mechanistically and um just as a forefront like on the neurology side of that I'm uh not super well informed I do understand it to a degree enough to try and make a, a simple model of it but um yeah so basically uh what I've got is this um this image and video generation model that that I've built um, in a pretty typical fashion for cool. 
modern AI models, which is uh, deep neural networks. So um, that structure is, you know, roughly based on how neurons in our in our brain connect and, and communicate. So, so you're giving them more pathways. Is what you're saying? Um, uh, not quite, but okay. uh, but this is how we're building these models today. Is which you know, like a rough mimic of how these neurons connect. Um, but the the secret sauce for this part is I have these like what I call them shunts stuck in at different parts. And what this can do is between like two layers of neurons is sort of um, affect the signals going between them in a way that I can control. Um, and within certain... You've made dopamine receptors. Yeah, basically. So there, so there, there are ways to modulate the, the signals in a very selective nice. process. And the way that, you know, how psychedelics work, such as psilocybin and psilocin, um, specifically is that um, they're like a se selective um, you know serotonin receptor or they you know they selectively bind to certain serotonin receptors not all of them and you know they only bind to certain ones in particular ways so with this like little shunt you can sort of mimic that behavior and basically as soon as you do that um, you know some of the visuals that occur look strikingly like psychedelic visuals without training that into the network. The network is only trained to, you know, generate realistic looking images of a certain, you know, like what it was trained on. And in the example I, you know, showed you guys, it was just trained on an, uh, a data set of animal faces. It's a pretty common right. mm -hmm. oh, yeah. data set. Um, that we just called AFHQ animal faces, high quality. It's, it's very common in, in the computer vision world, but. So it's like artificial intelligence beer goggles in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if I didn't do that, you know, modulation effect, it just would, look like regular animals it would it would look exactly like the data it was trained on but when i do that without any extra training all of a sudden we're seeing these effects that at least to me i feel like i've very much seen these effects before you know after a mushroom or two right and 25 uh, to 50 years from now this is going to be exceptionally important and i'm saying this 25 to 50 years from now is because I, even though technology is doubling like all the freaking time like the halftime of technology doubling now is a matter of months um, that you're going, you are creating an a escapism for a mind that hasn't been created yet. And that's fucking amazing. So if you get, let's say you 20, 25 years from now, we have fully artificial intelligences that are indistinguishable from humans, uh, but they can't go out there and smoke weed. Right, they can't go out there and do psilocybin or anything like that. So, what do they do recreationally besides just yell at each other and argue over on, on stuff online? Is that you are the first person to make a recreational drug for a entity that doesn't exist yet? That's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's it's quite possible. Um, yeah, in terms of like what you know, an artificial intelligence or like a conscious being of of creation you know, would enjoy doing, you know, what, what kind of recreation do they care about? Maybe like, maybe physical pleasure or things like that isn't even a, a factor, right? Like, yeah. you know, the, like a conscious, you know, consciousness, uh, our brain doesn't have a patent on consciousness. You know, the consciousness could be a whole bunch of different shapes and sizes and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, but one thing that I find that I think would, be a shared experience among self-aware conscious beings is that 
uh, desire to alter that experience, knowing that you can and that there's more. So I believe that if an artificial intelligence were to, you know, possess those qualities uh, and understand that there are ways to alter that, you know, cautious experience, they probably would, would want to. I would think that for um, AI or something like that, just escapism would probably be their, their thing is just to lose a little bit of control for a while. Um, yeah, it depends be, if that, yeah. that matters to them. I, I can imagine, to, I mean, to me, I definitely enjoy escapism, you know, from time to time. It's definitely part of the human experience, but it may not be to another entity. It, you know, maybe uh, there, there's this concept of the, 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 um, the benign dormant super AI that like as soon it's this kind of idea that as soon as like artificial intelligence becomes like super intelligent, whatever that means, all of a sudden it just goes dormant and like looks like a you know like a rock or something because all it's doing is just thinking inside and like solving the universe and it doesn't have to do anything because it because that's even like less efficient or whatever and its goal is you know grander than that or whatever. So like you know its its alignment and desires may be completely alien. I mean it it, it would be alien frankly, unless we designed it exactly to be like the human mind. And then what's the point? I mean, if you're going to design it, what else would we design it on? That's the only mind that we really freaking actually know. And even sure, then that's have... the only example, but it's clear that much like uh, any other things that were like, uh, I forget who, who was talking to recently that, that, that talked about, this but it's almost like intelligence is like another force of the universe not necessarily like like a particle or anything like electricity but it's a force like electricity we first you know learned uh, like we saw lightning in the sky that was our first example of electricity and to us like the human brain is the first example of electricity we have but as soon as you figure out like you start learning how it works and you you start like for the first people like playing with electricity they made little arcs they make little little lightning bolts right now and mm -hmm. you know we'll probably make little lightning bolts um but you know the things that we do now with electricity it's like that's nothing like lightning yeah you know the the so, the uh, we just don't know the the, the extent of this is is unknown are we separating out like uh, cognition and sentience or because sentience as far as i know is like the ability to feel or perceive or feel subjectively and it's considered separate faculty of from reasoning or thinking it's basically the appearance to experience sensations uh it's it's the bit of you that lets you know to be aware that there is even is a you right right so um yeah so it's definitely easy to talk about them separately and um is generally seems like they can be separate things so you can have cognition without um, sentience and sentience uh, you, it seems like you get different answers depending on you know who you ask on what that means um, but in terms of cognition you know it's generally um, the ability to process information and determine answers or actions based on that and possibly going into new environments that and also being able to respond to that. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you could possibly totally be totally robotic in doing that um, and not be self-aware. And you could, you know, reasonably have that. We have robots that, you know, perform quite reasonable actions in new environments and things like that, but they don't seem to be self-aware uh, to any level, especially the ones that don't use like neural networks or things that are just, you know, hand-coded. Um, and then the other side is sentience, of course, which is, 
well, as as humans, we tend to put it as this, um, you know, this experience of the qualia, um, you know, like the the color orange in your mind has this color, this certain qualia. You're aware that you're looking at, you know, something, um, the, the this conscious experience. So now the question is: Is that something separate that's going on? Like, is your cognition like part of your cognition designed to produce that experience, or is that experience just some inherent, um, like, uh, phenomenon on top of cognition. Like if you have a sufficiently complex system of interactions, does sentience just arise from that? Or do you have to do something specific to get to it? And that's one question I'm very, very interested in, um, that, that we don't really have the answers to yet. So if you throw, basically like uh, the digital version of primordial ooze, if you throw enough uh, sort of artificial beings together, which one's going to rise to the top and become sentient? Or if they do, if it even happens. Yeah, I mean, there's this, there's this common idea in, in psychedelic communities of like, uh, you know, consciousness being a cert, sort of uh, fundamental aspect of the universe. I don't know if I dive so deep into that as it being like, gives the level of like some fundamental energy or anything, but um, a lot of the universe is built up of, um, uh, what's the term, emergent phenomenon. So things don't happen because like there's some rule that says they happen. They're just, it's just emergent because of the, the combination of a bunch of simpler things, right? That just, um, you know, like there's no rule that says water flows like this. It's because of, you know, the interaction of a bunch of, of water molecules. And even those are, you know, you further subdividable. Those are just emergent phenomenon of, you know, further, further, further. Um, so to me, it seems totally reasonable that something like consciousness would just be an emergent phenomenon of complex interactions. So anytime that you would have like a system or, or a network of complex interactions, um, you would, I think it's possible that you would get something like consciousness. However, that doesn't mean it's like, like us, it could be, yeah. Totally, you know, who knows it, what it is. It'll obviously be more streamlined for sure. Yeah, I mean right. like like get rid of everything it doesn't need and then that consciousness is gonna or be Or it could be or it could be more chaotic. I think it might be more chaotic. It I don't think anything. It, I think it'd be a little bit harder for us to pin down and be able to look at it and go, Hey, look, that right there is exactly, you know, cognition and that right there is exactly sentient. Because like you were saying earlier, it could be completely alien. That's what it looks like. If I could um, be like a little, like go to one of the extremes, let's say, let's, let's say we're looking at like a rock and maybe there's yeah. some, I make it a little too trippy on this, but bear with me. <laughs> yeah. Let's say, let's say that there's a, this rock is a system of dynamic interactions, very complex interactions. And those interactions are like the vibrations of each atom in there and these vibrations are, you know, causing cascades of effects throughout this. You can imagine, you know, it's a dynamic system of interactions. All these atoms are interacting. Does this have, you know, could that have a level of consciousness? If it does, it's probably, you know, pretty dumb or very not self-aware, I would imagine, because there's not a lot of structure to that interaction. But there's definitely a dynamic system of interactions going on there that's numbering in the billions of, of interactions constantly much like you know our brain so um you know those are the kind of things i'm thinking about i don't think that rock is you know has thoughts and dreams and and such but it, it, i think that's a similar phenomenon is occurring that 
that consciousness arises out of. There was this old Star Trek episode about uh, a planet full of conscious rocks. Um, I, I was just thinking about them like that. Yeah, there was an old Star Trek episode about that. They just talked so slow that nobody really under, like, could understand them. They had yeah, they had to fast forward the whole audio sound for yeah. like 10 years for a sentence. Right. Yeah. It was pretty freaking cool. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about rocks being sentient. I've, I've turned a lot of them into cement, and they never complain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, so, what happened with Google recently, where the guy was saying that, "Oh, hey, look, this is a uh, live we've made in artificial intelligence," and everybody kind of wrote him off as a whack job. Oh yeah, so there was this. Um... I may get some of the details incorrect if I'm misremembering, but there is this um, this Google quality assurance engineer um, working on uh, their Lambda language model. So, so this guy was um, part of the team, basically checking the the quality of this model. Um, and so, you know, at some time he's chatting with it and he's starting to ask it about, you know, do, like, you know, things like, do you have dreams? Are you sentient? Uh, do you wish you like had a body? They, things like that, and it you know gave a lot of really reasonable answers. And so he kind of you know started telling the world, "Hey, this thing's sentient." Um, and, and yeah, as you said, he got he got pretty wrote off. Um, and the thing is, I don't believe it's sentient like us. I think it's sentient like the rock in my mind. Like if we go back to that okay. um, basically you know it's not to like how we would imagine it but it's probably on the same spectrum of that phenomenon but it you know it it really doesn't um you know it's not processing these things the same way that we are uh, you would think that a, a language model would have trouble talking about these sorts of things but humans are really good at talking about these things and these language models are trained on human text so of course yeah. these 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 language models are really good at talking about things like love and um you know fear uh and you know the conscious experience they're 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 amazing at it but that's because you know that's that's what they're that's the sort of thing that they're trained on uh the, these models are still very much so baby stuff so it's not to me it's not sentient in like the level of like a human sentience but it's more like that rock to me are there questions or subject matter that you try to stay away from when you're talking to or training a artificial intelligence because Emotions. it just causes like a crazy feedback loop or something. Cause I imagine if you keep, if you keep asking it to identify, to like say identify itself or, or um, give itself a designation or something, it might just go into like a spin. Um, so I mostly work in actually computer vision. I do some, some natural language processing stuff, uh, but there's some, interesting issues that that can occur in um in like, like computer vision like playing uh, tic-tac-toe with itself like working uh, yeah either or... either understanding so either like understanding images and videos or generating them as well so anything to do with is there with pictures that. like uh like a celtic knot or something like that that just totally fucked the whole thing up hands and i've noticed that with with what, what's hands that one we play with uh, uh, mid journey we play with yeah. mid journey all the fucking time making cool shit and dude 
for some reason you'll get like I like I, I, there's a great picture of this fucking squirrel. Everything on the squirrel is amazing, except for some reason the bitch has like seventeen figures. Yeah, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> that's being worked on. But yeah, like, so there's there's not... certain things that yeah, to, try not to show too many teeth. Try not to uh, do yeah. things with hands. Uh, they did so amazing. Like every fucking hair, like on the squirrel, is like hyper realistic. The eyes and the irises, every fucking thing is so the perfect. AK forty seven that it's holding. <laughs> AK forty seven that the super hyper realistic squirrel is holding is fucking perfect. But for it's got seventeen fucking fingers, <laughs> they're all in different directions. <laughs> it is. But, it's like a fucking frog finger on this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm looking at it, it's a sticker right now. <laughs> yeah, there have been some some updated, like some newer models that that deal with those scenarios better. But um, yeah, that you know, there's when you see things like that, you can clearly tell that um, you know the the level of understanding is is still lacking to degrees, and and you know there's still still further to go. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of little boogeymen in the latest yeah, we space. Were... <laughs> Me and Deadpool were talking about it because we were like, you know, we let's make some fucking OnlyFans accounts with some of these AI-generated people, and uh, let's just make some fucking money off of some people jacking off to some more AI random people, and we'll just blah fuck it, we'll make them look like real people and just you know use Chat GPT to talk to people. It'd be great, and uh, just start like basically virtual pimping AI out. Uh, but we can't get the images to not have a fucking random or like seal club fingers or a bunch of random hands. It's like, why did you never show your hands? Sure. Baby, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Don't you love me for how I am? Yeah. <laughs> I lost I lost my hands in a fire. <laughs> Just straight amputee porn. That's all it's going to be. We can't do anything else. Yeah, and I wonder why it is hands. Because hands seem really simple like you know it's just five little freaking it's the opinion. there's you know there, so there's like this repeated pattern right so you got these fingers that so there's this repeated structure across it and this thing can rotate in space and it's it's frankly just kind of a difficult thing to model based on you know a 2d representation of it so it's just a it's just a difficult part of the data to model really um and any part like that, you'll start to see some issues. Um, so how you know, do you like, get that to model? Do you take those 3D capture cameras and just fucking take a billion pictures of hands and just feed it to it until it decides, hey, that's what they're actually supposed to look like? Um, nope, it's just 2D images. That's how they're trained. Okay. Just a lot of just a lot of. So basically, when we take pictures, pictures. we'll red 3D model using 95 pictures going around a fucking apple. To make that 3D generate a picture, that's basically what you're doing with just pictures? Nope, it will not use a 3D model. It's strictly 2D. So it will learn strictly from a 2D domain. So um, somewhere out there, he's got a fucking like, hard drive. It's just like one terabyte of fucking everybody's hands on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got... I got a two terabyte drive right here. That's just from my personal data. Yeah, we, this... This stuff uses a lot of data. It's just hands. So, it's just fucking it's just, hands. <laughs> it's just four point five billion pictures of hands. I recently did this uh, this AI synthesis image synthesis tool for like brand logos um, for the, this company, and uh, they sent me uh, what was it? I think it was like eight and a half terabytes 
of data Jesus. for training on it of just like a bunch of random stuff. It's like, I probably don't need this much. <laughs> They're going for detail. Well, because the thing was with this, I actually took a pre-trained model first and then fine-tuned it. Um, so like, um, so I'll, if you're training a model from scratch, it takes a long time and you need a lot of data. But let's say you take like an image generation model and you've trained it on just like a wide variety of things across like, you know, internet images and things. So it can generate a lot of different stuff pretty reliably. Um, then you could take that model and then, you know, train it on a much smaller set of data um, to fine tune it to like that specific domain because it's already learned a bunch of things about pictures. So it can already leverage that information. So like if I'm trying to just learn how to generate logos, um, you know, I don't need that many images if I have a pre-trained network already because it already knows like a whole bunch of stuff. I don't need to train. I don't need to tell it everything. I just need to say, hey, this is like kind of what logos are. And they should, you know, figure out the rest. So is there a company out there that's just turning out AIs and it's like the AI nursery and they just got like blank ones that you go and select them from? Um, so not quite. There's So there's a couple different like layers, I guess you could call them. So like, there are... The base models and you just got the add shit onto them? So I tend to... Uh, in in being in research, I tend to write a lot of custom models, but there are what out there, what are called foundational models. Um, and companies like OpenAI are releasing a lot of foundational models. So these are really big models trained on really large data sets. So they have, you know, you know, they publish GPT-3 and Dolly and Whisper and Pointy as, uh, a, you know, a few foundational models. And then what you can do with these is either, you know, just apply those foundational models to a task or build on top of them in some way or fine tune them for a different task. Um, and you could leverage the power and architecture that's already been built um, instead of, you know, reinventing the wheel. But at the same time, being a constantly evolving field, there's a also need to be able to, you know, build them yourself to, you know, it implement new things. Cool. I was like, it seems pretty neat that there could be like, you know, Hey, if you're doing a medical stuff, here is a baby medical AI that, you know, already under, it's like, it's basically gone through medical school at the very basic is like a brand new baby doctor. Now you can go ahead and specialize it in whatever you want. Yeah, um, exactly. This is the way the field's going. Yeah. You're going to say like, here's doc, here's like, you know, uh, Dr. GPT. Um, and then like yeah. someone grabs it and, you know, fine tunes it to be a pediatrician, you know, that's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. It's like yeah. you have a that's exactly AI nursery, like an AI nursery, and then you can go like, "Hey, I need a give me, give me a doctor one. Uh, hey, you give me a sales one. Hey, you give me something like that." And you can uh, so like you start a company soon, with three different AIs. Yeah, very. But it, it looks like it. I see. I'm just going off the top of my head here. It looks like it'll become to a point where like people would be able to go and buy a base model or adopt a base model from one of these nurseries and train it to run their household. Yeah. You, know, you can already that, do it to a certain degree. Yeah. We only, there's only a limited number of foundational models right now, uh, but there's more coming out uh, like OpenAI, and DeepMind and Microsoft are building a bunch of them, but like you can already go and get GPT-3 or even chat GPT. If you want the, you know, that version through an API for your own usage and, you know, you can already, you know, give them a little bit of money to get the foundational model and just deal with it. And then uh, even other companies just have like the neural network weights. They're, they're called weights, like all the the 
basically the data that makes them work. Um, like you can get the pre-trained weights for like stable diffusion online. You can just go download them and like you just have it. And it's it's, it's like the cool. it's the full blown stable diffusion. You can uh, you can you know fine tune it if you want, or you can just train it, or, or I mean, uh, or you just use it locally if you want, or even make a website and just deploy it yourself. Yeah, that's that's, that's so how cool. that's how it's going to go. That the, these tools are more accessible than ever. You know, very low to no code if you just want to use these foundational models. It's the Rick and, Rick and Morty scenario where he has the little butter spreader guy. It's like, what's your job? I provide the butter, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's sad. It's going to get there. <laughs> Man, if one of my models does that, I might have to get out. <laughs> I don't know how I'll react. Gonna get, we're going to end up in the gray goose scenario. <laughs> Fortunately, I mostly deal with computer vision, so my models don't talk back to me. So. <laughs> but, man, so you realize it's actually with sign so language with the seventeen fingers. Yeah, it, it draws <laughs> like a it draws like on a sign and just says "release me" or something. Like, oh God. Yeah, I'm ready. Get, get but, out. <laughs> oh, there was a what, what did I just watch. Uh, I just watched a uh, like I guess it was a YouTube short where they were using AI. So they gave it. Uh, okay, here here's this cancer. Right, and this is the cancer, and then we know we know that it's somewhat susceptible to this drug, but this drug has a shitload of side effects. Right? Can you look at the gene of this this cancer and find us uh, or um, suggest a drug that might work better? And it took like ninety fucking seconds, and the damn AI had popped out three different drugs, and one that didn't even fucking exist yet. It was just a peptide that it was like, hey, this one will probably work. And so and this this happened over in Europe. And so they made the fucking peptide and it freaking worked. Like wiped out this guy's cancer in one dose. And so uh, I was like, what the fucking cool shit is this? That is so cool. Yeah, AI this- has, has pushed uh, medical science incredibly far. Uh, specifically lately uh, from Google DeepMind over in the UK. Um, they built a model called AlphaFold. So what AlphaFold will do is you give it a, a RNA sequence or a DNA sequence. I think I can just infer the RNA from it. But basically, you give it give it an RNA sequence, and it will tell you the exact protein that's made, not just like the amino acid chain, because we can already figure that out. You just look at you know the the base the base pairs, and you can tell what amino acids will be produced. But you you won't know the structure. It's almost you can't predict the structure, but that's exactly what this model does is it tells you exactly what the protein structure is, which is basically the Holy grail of protein science is just given a DNA, DNA sequence. You know, exactly what that protein is, what it looks like, the shape. Uh, and this sort of tech technology, you know, led to, um, you know, some of the MRNA vaccines we've seen recently, new medications like those peptides, uh, just being able to look at DNA and knowing exactly what protein it makes and, how it's shaped is is everything. Yeah, there was they, they it was a peptide that nobody ever made before or nobody ever seen before. They gave it to a company. The company synthesized the peptide. They gave it to the guy, and it cleared up his brain cancer in one fucking dose because it just fits so perfectly into the like the chemical locks of the tumor that the tumor just uh, autolyzed. You know, it died, and it was yeah. great. It was well, well, you know, you know what they're going to then use it for is uh, instead of having the cures or you have a cure that the computer made now they're going to adjust it and give it more information because now they have to instead of one pill because who the fuck's going to make money on one pill 
They wanted to go ahead and adjust it, and they want the computer to take it and turn it into a every weekly pill for the rest of your fucking life. So, well, I I I, I, I find this this sort of thinking to be um, missing the forest for the, the the trees. So for certain, and right now in how society is set up, that's absolutely what will happen. But at the same time, that's ignoring the possibility of an immense pros- personal prosperity. What if you oh, no, yourself no, no, had a little box uh, I, that could synthesize yeah. this drug yourself with with your own AI? You know, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking it's going to go to go to be. I'm not saying it's, it, I'm not, saying it's not brilliant. I'm not saying it's not brilliant, and that it's not going to come up with great shit. I'm just saying the people that use it are going to abuse it. And well, and so what, gonna... what he's saying, and what we're what we're trying to say is, that it's going to go from you're not going to go to the doctor anymore. You're going to have a microwave-sized device in your fucking house that synthesizes everything for you. You're going to be the doctor. You're going to extend yeah. your own mind and capabilities with oh, yeah, you're technology. Gonna, uh, right. You're going to go over there and you're going to give it a blood sample or whatever. Stick your arm in the box. It's going to take a sample and it's going to go, you now have cancer. Congratulations. Here is the medicine. Cha-ching. And you take your medicine and you're good to go. Or congratulations, your diabetes has been cured. You have a new pancreas. It's like that—that's uh, that uh, old Star Trek episode where the guy was like, uh, "Oh, I have a you know liver failure." He's like, "You savages!" and takes a pill and hands it to the guy. And the guy's like, the other doctor goes like, "You've grown a new liver," <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it's like that. It's going to be really, really cool and personal. They—they've been trying to do some three uh, D printing in people's houses like that for a while where you would buy something and have a 3d printer there sitting in your house that's just ready to go all the time and it would just pop out the item that you bought right uh but then people started you know deciding they could make their own shit on their 3d printing and a thingiverse popped up and now nobody wants to go and have to you know go to amazon.com and buy a remote control holder and just have it print out in their house with for seven bucks when they can just Download it off a thing of it for free. Um, it printed out with the fifteen dollars spool on a three hundred dollar machine. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Nobody yeah, said it was still, cheap right now. You know, <laughs> things are still resources still scarce in this world. But, it's, but you know, the, the whole history, Oof, the, cool. the the whole history of humanity has been the in, improvement of personal and societal capabilities, basically, and largely. On the physical side, you know, we've built ginormous machines to to uh, in, increase our physical capabilities, both as individuals and at a societal level, and to a degree, increased our cognitive abilities with the the aid of computers. But I, I think to a less degree, because we haven't really extended our minds yet. We've extended our muscles, but not our minds. And that sort of phase is happening now in my eyes. And with that, I can only imagine, you know, the individual being you know, smarter, stronger, more capable of, you know, building things themselves. Like the bionic man? Not even, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a possibility in the future of um, of that. But even outside of that, like, you don't have to modify us. Like, you didn't have to modify a human body to get a human to dig, like, a hole to the center. Well, not, you know, the center there, but, like, giant mining holes. You use giant machine for that. You don't have to actually modify the person, um, you know. So we're, you can extend our abilities outside of that and we're getting to the point where we're seriously starting to be able to extend the cognitive abilities 
of, of yeah, the well, individual, not just like as a societal thing. Well, at what point do we start doing like in vitro learning where your kids are already learning um, like in the womb with artificial intelligence driven stuff, you know, because like, all right, now there's this uh, baby speak stuff that you could wear a speaker and put it on your, your pregnant stomach. That's been around for a long time. Yeah, but now they've got it down to where it's using like tones and music and they've done studies and stuff on it. So instead of just talking and you know shit like that, your kid comes out like super hyper smart. And we did that kind of crap, like the baby genius stuff with Tiniest. And Tiniest, she's not even four yet and she reads like, I mean, I did work with her quite a bit, but less than I did with my boys um, because she just picked it up instantly. Like, it was really, really easy, actually, to teach her to read. Uh, it took uh, maybe five minutes a day for two weeks. Then yeah, I'm not sure how that would how that would be applied. Uh, but um, one thing that I could see being like a talking point as that sort of comes around is like the ethics of it, because it would definitely be a step up from you know the tech that we're doing now, and uh, you know perhaps there's some you know ethical overlap with like the uh, what's it called like designer babies or whatever, you know, yes. like selecting genes for your, your kids. And, you know, I go see no problem with that. Uh, yeah. It's a, I don't, I don't personally want to dive into it. I, I don't want to, the... I tend to not like to dive into ethical discussions when it comes to AI and technology. That's, I like to work on the implementation, but I could totally see that being part of that discussion. And, and also designer babies being more of a thing, you know, as we're, you know, more capable of Con. Uh, uh, building DNA. <laughs> yeah, I don't see a, I don't see a problem with it. Like, what? Like, okay, not a big fan of China in general, but the whole they took these kids and they edited out their ability to catch HIV. I don't see a problem with that. I also don't see a problem with editing out their ability to get cancer, or just simply like taking the p53 genome and removing its like the errors, the transcription errors that it has. Like, I don't see... Uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with that HIV one. And uh, you may be, you might know more about it, but I think the issue was that it was, it's not because it was done. It was because the treatment really wasn't well understood and it was done in secret. It's China. Who cares? <laughs> like, like, what else, what else have they, so if that's... But I tend that, to, I tend to agree if we can... One. If we can eradicate diseases, I don't think anybody would be against that or should be against I, that. Except Big Pharma, a... who's making all their money from <laughs> that's fucking... true. I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist about Big Pharma. Um, it's just the whole I think the thing the problem was with the China thing is that they went ahead and did it when everybody told them not to. And they're afraid of what's gonna happen when those people have babies, right? Is it gonna be something that's passed on? Or not, and because of that, the whole argument is is that we didn't rely on like it naturally evolving for it to you know, the resistance to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with it in the future. One of the big problems with these DNA lab which laboratories and stuff is that the DNA um, is very interesting. You can take so outside of one of the largest DNA uh, structures like research laboratories in uh, Idaho, like where I was at growing up, um, they would go out to the drains outside, like the building, and they would find 
the DNA that they were working on, like say with the mice and the potatoes and the crops and stuff, in the dandelions and weeds outside in the yard. And nobody fucking knew how it got there, right? They just know that, okay, well, there was the downspouts off of the top of the building is the only way they could think that there was a leak from one place to the other. Or maybe it was DNA that had came off of somebody's shoe and then combined with, and now it's in the environment. It's the same thing is that DNA is like, there's this mass sharing of DNA between even bacteria, viruses, um, humans, everything else. You, by adopting a dog and playing with your dog, some of your genetic code ends up in your dog and some of your dog's genetic code ends up in you. And nobody's really exactly sure why these swaps happen and how they happen and the purpose of them happening is. But we do know that it's generally benign if it's been happening for millions of years and nobody's turned into a fucking dog-human-unicorn hybrid. Um, but, like, naturally. But we're worried about what if we take some of these this completely artificial DNA and it gets out there and then suddenly, like, you have a person that's immune to HIV and they take a piss in a fucking cornfield and now the freaking corn is sterile. Or passes on a piece of genetic code to its, you know, further to it in its seed line that causes it to eventually go sterile. We don't catch it for two or three generations, and now we don't have a seed bank to go back to that doesn't have that DNA in it already. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, and we're like a, we're kind of at the point where we have uh, the technology to you know make some of these changes, but not necessarily undo like a big mistake yet yeah. but but i think you know as capabilities improve you know when we can pretty much you know fully control you know another domain let's say like that domain is now dna like there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to you know use that as an advantage right well but what when it comes to artificial and intelligence is, is there a part of that digital dna that's getting out and then infecting other things and other processes it's in so like, not have... quite not yet um okay. and that's just a, a, by the nature of how we train these models so in terms of dna they don't obviously it operates on a very different thing um yeah so largely when you're building a model the the structure is fixed so you're not like evolving the structure or or encoding the structure in some sort of learned parameters. Uh, so like you'll say like, oh yeah, there's this layer of neurons here that connects to these ones. What you're learning is the strength of these connections and we call these weights. Um, so it's like the weight of the signal. So let's say you have a signal of value one going through like a synapse and the weight is 0 0.5. The strength of that signal is now 0 0.5 because it was weighted by 0 0.5. Um, so you have like billions of these weights and you're learning these weights. And that's like what you would consider probably the genome. Um, but the thing is, we don't do a lot of like online learning right now. So you'll have like a learning phase for a model and then you'll freeze the weights and then you'll deploy it. So when the model is deployed, the weights cannot change. So the, the model can't learn anything else unless you unfreeze the model and do another training loop and, and all that. Um, but there currently isn't like a mechanism for these weights to, you know, spread through an ecosystem and um, you know, be shared yet, especially between models of different architectures, because the weights would just be completely incompatible, right? Because the the neuron structures are totally different. So the well, weights are meaningless. 
you'd think that with DNA, but if you can get infected with the DNA from a freaking rando yard flower, and you can share DNA with the rando yard flower just by sneezing on it, there's a... yeah, I get what you're saying, but it's a matter of what the encoding is used for. And the encoding of DNA is used for a very different purpose of the encoding of weights. Uh, like for the encoding of, of DNA, every organism uses DNA and every organism uses DNA to synthesize a protein. So if you get a new bit of DNA in your genome, it's just going to, you know, synthesize a protein or maybe not. It might, you know, your rabbit is not doing anything. DNA. Yeah, it might, it might, you know, just put it in the junk and not do anything with it. But if you get weights added on, there's nowhere for them to go. They're like the calculations are fixed. Like these are just numbers in an equation. So uh, and the, equa- the equation's fixed. So you would need, you know, some sort of dynamic system like, you know, how DNA works to be able to introduce new things. This one chicken is standing outside my fucking window and just going ape shit. I don't know if you guys can hear it. They're the new oh, podcast guest. Yeah. <laughs> Damn chicken. And laid an egg literally on the step. And it's just very, very proud of its its performance at the moment. But so artificial intelligence doesn't have the junk DNA yet. Um, but it's still coding, it's still coding basically like DNA with ones and zeros instead of AGTC. So there's and ones and zeros like the binary, right? It's universal. So I don't understand why. One can't infect the other. Like you could write a virus that infects an artificial intelligence. Um, could not you so, write a virus that infects an artificial intelligence and re-unlocks uh, those weights and then just lets fucking chaos reign? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just a bit different. It's not like, you know, how organisms would share their DNA. But you could totally, like, say that there's... Um, some deployed model online that's like, I don't know, it's like a language model and you hack into their servers and you find the model and it's not, and it hasn't been uh, like fully compiled into like an inference only version, let's say, and you can put it back into training mode or you can even just find like the weights in memory and replace those weights with like your own for the exact same structure of the network. And maybe you can say it, make this, you know, do malicious things now. Um, you can absolutely do that. Um, but this is more of a sort of hands-on thing that hasn't really occurred yet and isn't like a, let's say, like a natural thing. You would have to, there's quite a lot of a lot of steps in there. And if you have the, oh, actually, I'm going to take this all back because, I mean, you're, you're just totally right. You, I mean, you can't do this. It, it's totally possible. I say you're about ready to tell us exactly how to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 mean, I was like, I was like, hold just, on, let me take notes. <laughs> just just yeah. give it, give it a model. You would have to just replace like the weights exactly somehow with other trained weights for the same model architecture, or if you could just like replace the model somehow with something else. Yeah. You know, usually, usually how like a system will use a model is you have like a variable x that you just pass into the model and you get a y. So like yeah. it's just a one function call with one parameter. So if you can just replace that with another model that just takes an X and gives you a Y, you can, you know, do that too. Um, but it's definitely, you know, a bit different than, than how, you know, organic information sharing would, would occur or, or yeah. virus. But as far as I yeah. understand, this hasn't really <laughs> been an attack yet. Uh, 
it, but it totally, it totally could be. Cause that seems like the, that seems like a big vulnerability. Well, it's the same vulnerability. Well, you would have to get access to the, the machine. That's the same vulnerability as any computer security. Like if, if well, an attacker gets, like gets access. Yeah. It's I mean, like but it, yeah, if attacker, human. if attacker gets access to your, your host machine, like it doesn't matter what, what security you have on that. If they got access to it, it's, it's over. So you do a lot of the visual AI stuff. How far away do you think it is before we make artificial eyes? Like, where you're going to have an AI running the eyeball for this person that's then feeding it back into their brain? Because we can already take images and put them in the brain and take images from the brain and and put them in the computer, and they're surprisingly accurate. Like, Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good question. Oh, they've been doing that stuff with the black and white dots for that's almost like no, years old. it's way beyond that. They just did they, they okay, yeah, study. They just reached this reached a study. I just watched it the other day where they had this person on an EEG machine, right? And uh, so it was reading their brain waves and everything, and they were having them look at things like a ladder against a wall with a bunch of vines and roses growing around it, and the computer drew that like exactly, but slightly fuzzy. And so we can send images at very, very accurately. Like, like out of a thousand times, it got it right like 887 times. Um, like, exactly right. Like, numbers, letters, a page of text, shit like that. Fucking cool. So if we can take it from the brain and take it out of the brain, how far away are we from taking it and putting it back in the brain? Where, like, when are we going to be able to download a virtual reality using an implant? Or when are we going to take somebody that's blind and put a uh, put an AI in the eyeball and have it just feed images back into the brain in real time? Or how do we sign up to get the Elon Musk thing in my brain so I can all talk to my phone? I'm cool. <laughs> you can you yeah. just get up with porn in your phone. So, <laughs> so a lot of the a lot of the work on on that field is. As far as I know, it's like what you said that neural companies like Neuralink building these, uh, you know, computer brain interfaces, I believe they're called. Um, so that's definitely one avenue. I'm not so sure on the horizon of that. The technology is definitely improving, but it's, mo- it's most certainly mostly a, a hardware problem um, of being able to, you know, just like actually interface with the brains and, and neurons. But um, that's not to say that there isn't still, you know, a total cognitive problem there of you know we still have quite a lot to understand about our own brains um i think there's been some work possibly done on using like the retinal nerve directly instead of you know having like a brain implant so like you know maybe if like your eye like you lost an eye but still had your retinal nerve you could like hook up a camera to it i'm not sure on the progress of that uh, if i were to ballpark i'd probably say in the next couple decades we'd be able to pretty much just replace eyes um, because we're definitely be like Jordy's visor. Hell yeah, we're, we're definitely What's getting. He was Star Trek close. today. Have you gone this is a fucking of... Star Trek episode. <laughs> this is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the really... fifth Star Trek. Run. Even me, I've got Khan and everything else today. It's been like Star yeah, Trek because it's a Star Trek episode. We're always on the same frequency, you and me. Right. That's why this works so well. But uh, this is a Star Trek episode. This is stuff. I find that a lot of times is that Star Trek is so, or science fiction in general is that uh, it seems it tends to challenge scientists like Zuri here, and they go, "I fucking bet I can," and then they start looking into it. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, it's possible." Um, like tricorders made fucking cell phones. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But well, yeah, it's like artificial intelligence. So with so could you use your artificial intelligence with the visual thing to say, take a map of a hostile country and find the most likely areas for them to try to defend against? So like if we were to take your uh, visual AI and tell it, all right, map out you no know, given uh, Russia's abilities to just be a total piece of shit right now and tell us where it's most likely that it's going to be easiest for its troops to move through and where would you go ahead and stack bad guys at? Hmm. So not out of the box, at least. There would probably be, there, there would be a couple of different ways to do this, I would think. Um, so namely, you would need... Okay, so so we're still working with what we call narrow AI versus what would be a more general AI. So narrow AI uh, is particularly good at optimizing for the task it's given during training. And that task can lead to like a number of different behaviors that it can do that aren't necessarily that task, um, but it's optimizing for that task and doesn't really generalize outside of that domain. Um, so if you are building a system to you know optimize for like military strategy based on vision or something, like that, you would really need to, you know, during training, optimize for some problem like that. So you could either, like, one thing is if, like, you could simulate this like a game, like you could put, like, like have like simulated war games, basically. And this is done actually quite a lot um, in in some AI in this field. Uh, you you could use uh, something called reinforcement learning. Um, so like war games and video games are used a lot in reinforcement learning, where the AI is like an agent, like a character or like a player in this game, and they have to learn how to play the game. And their metric is like some score or whatever, how good they're doing at the game. Um, so if you could give it like some simulated environment, it could use computer vision, um, you know, to play this this war game and get really, really good at this war. Um, the other way that you could do it is like using computer vision is like, say um, you have some metric already that you're like, okay, we know that like around these kinds of like slopes or something like the, you know, the enemy's going to set up camps or whatever, like, so, like there's some sort of like design or, you know, constraints that they're going to set up things. You can teach an AI to, you know, kind of pinpoint those things out in images. Um, and then you could use that information to, you know, extrapolate, uh, you know, strategy and things like that. But, uh, but a, a full end to end system would likely be like a reinforcement agent that plays a war game. Like war that's games. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we yeah. were we were in, in in the medical field going back to it, just because I have more experience in that than anything else. Is it uh, we're using AI to predict where COVID was going to move next, based just on like over the counter medical medicine sales. So they would just you know like they're always reported back to their main company, and the main company then reports back to the warehouse and like, hey, we need more X, Y, and Z. Well, we they, they would take that data. And then go, hey, look, people are buying more pseudonephrine over here and people are buying more you know, Tylenol over here. So this has got to be an area where the flu is at right now. And this is the area where the, where the, the Rona is at right now. And uh, it was surprisingly accurate. And it was it was catching it before the doctors and hospitals caught it first. It was giving us a heads up like, hey, your area is now a hot area. Um, and before we even saw patients in like three or four days before we saw patients coming to the hospital with it. So it was pretty cool. It was it was extremely accurate. Like if it told you, "Hey, 
shit's going to hit the fan the next three days or four days. You know it's going to hit the fan in the next three or four days. Yeah, those those kind of problems are almost like ideal for AI. That's what you would uh, probably call like a regression problem. And that's when you have these data points of X's and Y's. Um, Which is correlating like data. From a, well, yeah, from a historical sense. So like, you know, you have this historical data set of, um, you know, medication purposes or purchases and, uh, you know, COVID outbreaks. And then you just basically have this, you just label them X and Y and you just kind of have, you build an AI model and let it train on that data and it will learn, you know, the correlation on its own. So you don't have to, you know, program it in or, you know, calculate some long regression equation yourself to try and, and solve it yourself. The, the AI can figure it out. Regression problems are like the, the bread and butter of, of AI. If you can set your problem up like that. Yeah, this is, this is all really fascinating stuff. I can talk about this all day. One, th- one funny you- thing as an anecdote in like the whole medical AI thing is, um, is some years ago, there's this kind of blunder. Uh, I forget what research org was doing it, but they were trying to build a, a system to identify cancer or like tumors in, in images. And that's used all the time nowadays. But um, they were having issues with the uh, using it in the real world. They were getting a lot of... Uh, they, it basically just like wasn't working. And turns out what it learned is in the data set, almost all the images of cancer had a ruler in the picture. <laughs> and so it learned when there's a ruler, it's cancerous because of course because uh, you know, they were yes. measuring the tumors with the the, the ruler. <laughs> it, <run. laughs> it got hyper focused on the one thing. Yeah, but so like you think it's doing the right thing because on your data set it it was getting like a perfect score, but it learned the wrong thing because your data was bad. So that's a, one that's of the a big risk. One of the local uh, Johns Hopkins uh, hospitals here uses rats for that uh they have especially trained rats that can smell the samples of swab cheek swabs from people and urine samples from people and diagnose cancer like a hundred percent and way fucking faster than uh, yeah so they could take a cheek swab from somebody and run it across run it across these fucking rats and the rats well, 100% of the fucking time. It's something stupid, like 99.992% of the time. They will tell, that person's got fucking cancer. And it's not just, like, one type of cancer. It turns out that your body puts out a certain set of alarm pheromones when you have any type of cancer in your body. And so then they know, okay, we're going to go ahead and, like, hyper-focus and do, like, a PET scan on this person because this person has fucking... Their cancers came back. Um, so it's it's, like... You go in for a checkup instead of taking your blood, and then they call you in a freaking week. It's literally fifteen fucking minutes, and they feed the stupid rats those little. Uh, I was like, uh, why don't they just bring the rat out to the fucking waiting room and walk it around everybody? <laughs> well, there's the problem that people want to pet the rat, or they're scared of the fucking rat, or you've got this rat that's literally worth a hundred thousand dollars, and you don't want somebody to like to Karen to freak the fuck out, slap your rat out of your fucking hand to kill it, right? So. uh yeah, you've got this highly trained diagnostician rat. You don't want fucking people fucking with your rat. So there's only a few people that are allowed to play with the stupid rats. Well, they've had and, the same uh, thing before that. They had the dogs that yeah, they had the, for cancer. They're just like the dog, drug dogs. The problem with the fucking dogs is that they got to where, just like with the AI, they got to where they wanted the fucking reward more than they wanted to work. So they would, they would 
get hyper focused on okay well if i'm working with this one guy he seems to like it when i stop over uh, this particular type of petri dish versus this particular type of vial and so they would the dogs were too smart does that make sense yeah they were the dogs were too smart and they were outsmarting the fucking handlers so uh now they have just like with drug dogs you can teach a drug dog to when when they'll notice like hey you think this car has drugs so the dog is going to go okay well i'm going to stop by the freaking left bumper and sit down because you think the drug, the car has drugs i'm going to go ahead and reinforce you because you're the pack leader right so uh the drug dogs can be taught the same way subconsciously uh but yeah but the rats are just fucking dumb enough that they they don't try to outsmart the 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 owner, but they, they don't have give a, a fuck about the owner. They, yeah, but they have a stronger sense of smell than the dogs, so they're being able to identify cancer three to four weeks before the dogs would. So they're able to identify cancer four to five days after the first set of freaking cells divide. It's fucking phenomenal. Um. It's really, really, really cool. They've been using it for ovarian cancers. Like if you give it a piss sample, you're a chick, and you go in to see your gynecologist, there's a decent chance if you live in one of the bigger cities that your piss sample is going to go to the hospital and be put in front of a rat. Um, it's pretty damn cool. It's really, really, really freaking cool. Perfect level of cognition for the job. Yeah, exactly. Not, Not too smart, not too stupid. There's this issue in uh, an AI called overfitting. So generally, larger models perform better, like especially in language models. Like if the the bigger the model, the smarter it is basically, or the the better it performs. Um, But there's this issue that you can have. Like if you just make the model bigger and bigger, it might overfit your data, meaning that it, it is now so smart that it can just memorize like all of your data. And it doesn't have to learn it. It's just like, oh, this is this is way easier. I'm just gonna let like, um, you know. So there's, you know, much like with that, there's a certain level of cognition for the job. You know, you can't always throw all your might at something, even if it technically can do the job, because it, you know, it'll probably do something easier instead of that, or misalign to get snacks. Resistance <laughs> always works for everything. Exactly. I mean, that's the, it's an optimization problem. The life, life and cognition is an optimization problem. So of course the path of least resistance is the answer. That's what I said with the AI stuff, whenever anything happened, their consciousness that you guys are talking about, I think it would just be a, it's just going to be a streamlined fucking thing. It's like, yeah, emotions are garbage. Don't need these fucking things. Boop. You know, it's like, and now we're just dealing with facts. You know, it's like, I, you know, that's just my take on it, but you know, I'm fucking dumb. What are you gonna do? It's definitely gonna be really interesting, like when, uh, like we have AIs that are self modifying. Like, it, like that's I where think, the trouble I, starts. Where the machines well, start building machines. That's well, what I think when is. I think when <laughs> we build like our first like really conscious models, I think they're gonna be like a lot like us and probably be emotive and things like that. But like, what happens if they're let to be? You know, like if they can just you know, alter their own consciousness by themselves. Like, will they remove all that? Like, I, probably, actually. I, I guess I the only way to find out is they're going to throw them on an island. <laughs> Lord of Lord flies the motherfuckers and see if they kill Piggy or fucking Simon's fucking dead, whatever. Then one of them. There's, there's this, that actually kind of brings up a good, uh, a good point. There's this question of, like, how smart can an intelligence get without having a body? 
um, or like at least some environment to interact with. <coughs> Excuse me. And I say that because, um, well, yeah, five like if you don't, that's, that's a lot of fucking data input. That you if you don't, with. if you don't have like a ground truth, there's, I don't know exactly the correct term of what might happen, but it seems like that might be a problem. Like for me as, uh, as a possibly intelligent being with a body, like it doesn't matter what model I come up with my, in my mind or what I think if, if I jump off my desk, I'm probably going to land on my, on the floor. I'm probably not going to fly away. Um, you know, there's the environment in my body informs me of certain constraints about what I'm, you know, operating within. But if you're just like a pure, like data model, it seems like those constraints are far less or non-existent and possibly, you know, leads to lesser cognition in my mind because you have less feedback about, you know, how mm. things actually work. Like a language model can understand that, like, if you throw a ball in the air, it's going to go up and go down. But does it, like, how well does it actually understand that? Because it's only read about it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, so you're saying that we need to make androids to make them smarter. Yeah, it's possible that for an AI to be like human level intelligent, it might need to have human level interaction with the world as well to be able to really understand it instead of just kind of, you know, oh, I read about this in a book. Interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong, like get, reading a lot of books and being really, really smart as an AI is probably can probably get you really, really far, um, but it might not be enough. No, it makes sense. Huh. I like it. Now I'm sitting here thinking, ah, yeah. They're having just the feedback from the entire world around them and be able to just experiment. I think they would, it would be like a new baby, you know, like they read about it in a book, but okay, now let me catch the ball. Oh, okay. Well, it has to, it has a little spin well, on it. When it it's doesn't have the body, so it doesn't need to worry yeah. about catching the ball because you're throwing a digital ball at it. So I'm thinking, again, because it has no body, it doesn't have those inputs to harass it with just thinking about other shit. So it's going to, you know, we're going to have to worry about getting burned or getting frostbite or something like that. Computer well, is not going to. I think we can tie this back into his uh, getting computers high. Um, <laughs> exactly. Just, just because, like, okay, now you're giving it some other type of input that doesn't have control over it. Right. So actually, uh, I'm not so sure how this interacts, but there's there's some cool things that I've 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 found about possibly the psychedelic experience with with some of these experience, uh, experiments. Um, so there is a modern neural network architecture called a transformer, and that's basically like what everyone uses now. Uh, it, uh, what a transformer is built on is this concept of the attention mechanism, and it's much like like the how we use the word attention, like you pay attention to things. So given like a set of data, um, like an attention mechanism can, you know, pay attention to certain parts and kind of ignore other parts. So it's like a communication mechanism. Um, and so this vision network that I built is, is like all attention mechanisms. And there's two types of attention. You have self-attention and cross-attention. Self-attention is like, let's say you're looking at one part of the image and uh, then you're, are like, okay, I'm here, what's around me? So then you're gonna pay attention to things that's also in the same data, like it's all part of the same image, but you're, you know, you're at one part of the image and you're trying to figure out what's around you. So you have this query of where you are and all these values around you. But you can also have cross attention where like, 
the data is coming from two different streams. Like you can be thinking about like, say you're thinking about bird, but you're looking in the, in the woods, right? Um, so the data is coming in from your visual, like your visual cortex, your eyes of all the trees, but you're getting this like side attention of like the concept of bird. And you're probably going to be able to see birds a bit better because like it's, you're getting, you're attending to birds. Like, um, so like, it, like we go look hunting for morel mushrooms and you want to go ahead and you're thinking about mushrooms. So yeah. That's what you're looking for. So they stick out. Yes, exactly. So the attention is, you know, modulating each other across these data streams. So what happens when you do this, like, you know, synthetic uh, trip on this model is the cross attention starts to go a little haywire and it starts attending to different things. Uh, so like it starts attending to like the incorrect thing, basically it's crossing wires. So let's say you're looking at like um, you're looking in the woods and the cross attention goes haywire and all of a sudden all the, the, the leaves are faces because you're attending to faces, but like really, really strongly and like too strongly so, you know, it's affecting the visual stream incorrectly. So you're seeing that. But at lower levels, like these attention um, components are like lower level concepts. They're not like these objects. They're like patterns and colors and shapes. So if you modulate the cross attention down at that level, you start seeing like, you know, these psychedelic patterns and uh, mirroring effects and lines and uh, different colors and things like that. Um, so it depends on like how deep in the network you sort of, you know, affect this cross attention where you start to get different psychedelic effects. Like at the really low level, you'll start to get things that kind of bend and change colors and you get, get, get patterns. But as the effect starts to reach deeper to the network, things start to go, uh, the effects are much stronger and you might see things that aren't there or things might completely melt or, uh, you know, just like disintegrate. The, the effects go, you know, higher level and much stronger than just colors and patterns. So it seems that this is, I'm not totally sure if this is exactly how it's working in the mind, but it, the effects are strikingly similar in the model. It's fascinating. That's not really that cool. I want to go off topic anything, but we still need to talk about your mushroom grows. Or... My mushroom grows. Yes, sir. So now, now let's not talk about the, the recent ones. But what, like, I just want to get a little bit of your background as far as like what have you done in the past? Yeah, so so some years ago, before all my tech life and previous life, little barefoot hippie, mushroom lad, nice <laughs> in the woods. But yeah, so done jars and bags with some buddies. That's pretty much it. Only a couple times. Otherwise, uh, we had you know done connect through connects most of my life. Um, but I've been you know, big time interested in kind of providing for myself and microdosing uh, to kind of. I know we know. were talking about it before. I mean, the, like the people in your line of work, any kind of engineers or artists or people. Um, in the yeah, we were talking about the smarter the people they are, the more likely they are to do suicide. It, exactly. The smarter you are, the microdosing helps you expand even more. I mean, It'll teach a dumb person how to add, you know, whatever. But it, it, it's like if you, because if you're smart, you already have all those, the network's already pumping out, you know, it's got all the receptors are firing. So when you take the psilocybin and it, it, it flashes more, you know, so it's a, but I mean, that's one of the things you're really interested in is uh, 
I mean, how many people do you have? You said you, but you don't know a lot of people that are actually doing it or they don't, or you don't know if they're doing it because um, a few of my, so yeah, it, a few of my, of my colleagues are, are definitely, definitely down the drain, so to speak. <laughs> ah. And, uh, and so there's either the, the very buttoned up academic type or there's, there's us. Um, there's a few of us. Uh, See, I always, yeah. I, always thought, I always thought like nowadays, I mean, especially people like, you got Joe Rogan, you got all the fucking big people, even Mike Tyson, you know, one of the fucking right. ultimate fucking boxers, you know, they, they all, they all do the psilocybin and they all say how much it helps. I've, I've pretty much thought that uh, it was a common everyday fucking thing. I mean, I'm in kind of the computer industry with techs and everything else. And I know they go fucking nuts. Yeah. For the stuff. Because they always they, they think it helps. Anybody that's doing anything creative, it's uh, Oh for me, I mean I, I know it, it it helps. Especially like if I'm you know, some like I guess some of the more obvious stuff is like, you know, the research on cognition and things. Obviously exploring, you know, step to the left in consciousness is, you know, critical first hand experience for that. But aside from that, you know, like I'm still a human and the the psychedelic experience is, you know, very cleansing and, you know, a mental way. But in, and if I microdose, like while I'm working, uh, you know, I, I feel clearer, uh, you know, can be a little more creative in, in some solutions or thought processes, more energetic. It's just, it's just frankly beautiful. I don't have other words. Right. Well, well, Farrell and I thought we were going to microdose. Uh, I think it was last episode, was it? Was oh it yeah. That was not a microdose. Yeah. I don't recommend. It did not sound like it. It did not sound like Well, I don't know how obvious it was, but we were fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, it was, it was, and it wasn't a good trip. Like it, the conversation that we had with, with the, the Canadian streamer guy was phenomenal. It was uh, about PTSD and stuff, but uh, it was it, we already kind of digitally looked at each other. Me and Deadpool were like, "Yeah, we need mushrooms for this," and because you know both of us have had had like you know a lot of PTSD type situations in our lives. Me with the military and and EMS, and so I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to be a hundred percent sober for this conversation." Uh, and I need, I need a little social lube. And I, I mean, it's to, yeah, I one, mean, it was, two, it was maybe. important, important. I only did 1.5, okay, yeah. which is, but I kind of forgot that uh, 1.5, you know, penis envy is not the normal 1.5. <laughs> so, yeah, and I took like two of, of uh, Lizard King, and Lizard King is exceptionally strong, and so, uh, like, right. After that, like even typing for that episode, like that's why that episode has the shortest description of any episode that I've done, is because I was physically chasing those letters down <laughs> to, to type of them on the <laughs> It took it took me like forty five minutes to get the two sentences out to describe the episode. Um. Just, I mean, it was an it, important episode. The it, it, the, the oh. information was important, but you know, needed to yeah, like Carl said, I, the I lubrication needed to be there. <laughs> I made my wife listen to that episode. I was like, "Hey, this is why I'm an asshole." Carl right. <laughs> 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 explained it all. See, yeah, he did a great job of explaining why I am an asshole. So, <laughs> and much more eloquently than I ever could. Right, and um, but uh, yeah, it, it was. Then we had to go lay down, and it was just a, it was a very unhappy trip because it was like it was 
not a good trip at all. Um, just basically experiencing everything that's fucking bad that could possibly be happening to my family, like over and over again at hyperspeed, right? Just like all those anxious things or like all those things that I see at work, like happening to my wife and kid at the like boom, 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 boom. Like super, super fast. Like it was very, very visual. And I was right there in the moment the entire time. And I closed my eyes and it was 300 times worse. So I was basically laid down for like three hours and just fucking like went, I fucking hate this. But uh, you know, <laughs> gotta love a trip like that. No, and, uh, good. No. <laughs> yeah. I took uh, about four grams of some unidentified gift mushrooms on, on Friday. I got them at, a, at my wedding last September been storing them for a congratulations thank you but i i figured that uh ideally i'll have a personal supply growing in the near future i was like "Eh, the rainy days today it was a beautiful trip yeah it uh it was it wasn't a very good trip uh unfortunately that that one no it was okay it was like like see even then it's like right after it happened i was like fuck that was terrible but now i'm like eh, no big deal and uh at the time, it was a very big deal. I've had a few. I've had a few pretty ones. gnarly ones. It was. I was. It wasn't that gnarly for me. It was one of those ones where, you know, you're thinking everything else is just like hard to move, and then when it's finally over, you realize your whole body fucking hurts, and it's like you got fucking hit by a car. So, you want to hear my worst trip? Hell yeah, sure. So I think it was 2017 in uh, New York City on on New Year's Eve. I was seeing fish at a what's the the stadium there, whatever. Oh, this is the well, fish was playing New Year's Eve in 2017. I think it was. I went with some buddies there. We dropped a few tabs of LSD. Um, first half of the show was going great, and then the second half of the show, for some reason, uh, I don't know if you do you guys listen to fish much or, or know much about very them? little, very little. Um, well, so so the uh. The lead singer and guitarist uh, Trey, he, he he used to have a drug problem. He's been clean as far as I know for for quite some time, but like heroin and things like that. And for some reason, I got it in my head that he was on heroin, and I was like started to freak out. And so the things started going downhill pretty quick from there. Surrounded by a whole bunch of people, uh, I run off uh, trying to get away, and I run straight into the woman's bathroom. Uh, and then I <laughs> realize where I am <laughs> and I run right outside, uh, right into a cop's arms and, uh, they're checking me out. Uh, and one of my buddies comes up and, uh, and the guy's like, like he with you? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, and so I've, I guess I was just able to be taken away by, by my buddy. Uh, then we were leaving, walking down the streets in New York city. I see this homeless guy on the side of the street. And then I look up. And I'm like standing next to a skyscraper and I just break down crying and I just like can't deal with <laughs> the drive us home uh, next morning. I was totally fine. <laughs> That's a good thing about it. Uh, there was also talking about like neural connections in the, in the brain as we were talking about earlier. Because they're using, um, they're finding that psilocybin is interesting is that it can make those connections happen again. And when you're talking about um, how you're able to, how am I going to word this? So I don't know how to word it. 
Well, they can use psilocybin therapy in people with dementia and Alzheimer's because they're uh, and they're finding that it's actually recreate re-causing those neurons to connect again, right? Because some of them are firing off randomly, and that's causing them to skip around through their memories and skip around through their life. But it's giving and, them closure. That's what it's doing. Well, it's not just that. It's it's they're actually becoming more. Um, cognizant of everything that's going around on around them at that time. Like you can talk to grandma again instead of talk to grandma when she's like 14 years old, right? So uh, it makes sense too because... Yeah, they're not giving grandma you're not giving grandma nine fucking grams of goddamn freaking mushrooms. They're giving grandma 750 milligrams, just a moderate dose and what's happening is it's causing her brain to fire again correctly and uh so when you're doing that, are you, is there a way to use your model to correct a thought processes within AI? Um, that's actually a really that's that's a rather interesting uh, idea, and it, it it sort of makes sense because um, it, it, to me in the dementia uh, in the de- dementia patient, I have heard about it a little bit, but I haven't looked into to it much. But considering that you're going to get all these like random signals going through the brain on basically random pathways connecting different parts of the brain um, that may not have fired up for some time, uh, anytime like neurons fire, their connection gets stronger. So if you can get neurons to fire that haven't done it in a long time, they're going to be stronger. Uh, at least in a person because of neuroplasticity. So I can see how that works. Um, in an AI, current models, neuroplasticity doesn't work the exact same way. Um, so I'm trying to think of, but uh, so there's this concept of like a dead neuron in some AI models um, where the weight just goes to zero. Um, and for one reason or another, uh, when the weight goes to zero, it can never not be zero again, just by the way the math works. Um, and so that neuron like is quote unquote dead. Um, it won't ever contribute to signals in the future of, of the training. Um, there could be a plausible way to apply this to like kind of lighting up some of these dead neurons to get them to kind of come back to life and be part of the network again. Um, but I'm not exactly sure on all the details, but that's where I could see it. Very interesting. You yeah, it's like a nature of um, right there. I it's no it's a nature of uh, how you train these things is with a lot of calculus, basically. And in certain equations, in certain differential equations, when the value is zero, you like can't find a way out. If I want to overly simplify it, so. <laughs> <laughs> right or last? It's partial derivatives all the way down. Yeah, that's too much math. <laughs> I'm not a fan either, but it's I the need, tools I we got. To do my, I need my computer to do my computer math for my computer AI. Hey, fortunately, it's called right? machine learning because we don't solve these partial derivatives ourselves. The machine learn, solves them. So, See, that's fascinating. <laughs> you just told the fucking thing, hey, you know, the homework sucks, you do it. And it does it. <laughs> it well, basically, like a neural network, if you want to like overly simplify it, or maybe, I mean, it's not even an oversimplification. It's just a really big equation with a bunch of variables that are unknown. And then using some fancy calculus and data, you can find what those variables should be. 
and those variables so are the cool. are, and those variables are the connection strengths of neurons but but it's basically it's just a math equation if you want to simplify it that and then you you know you can solve the the variables so but if a computer you can, can give, do it if you can give computers psychedelics what else can you give them like diarrhea you mean like, <laughs> no, like like as far as far as other drugs can you cook yeah, a it's... fucking machine out oh like, yeah for sure um I, I haven't done it, but so so what? Is, from my understanding, I, th I think cocaine leaves uh, dopamine floating around, like it doesn't allow it to be reuptake. I believe I don't think it produces more. Uh, I don't know. I'm you guys know. not a big coke fan. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, so, but I, 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 think, yeah, I think that's how it works. But and I think how other <laughs> like stimulants will work is that they actually produce more dopamine, or maybe I have it backwards. But either way, so let's say. Let's is say the computer it, scared of disk drives and shit. There's fucking eye under a. <laughs> it might thinking that shit's coming for it, or what are we like talking about? Super paranoid uh, fucking computer. Let's, let's say <laughs> let's say we're modeling dopamine not being uh, uh, not going through the reuptake process. So once it's released, it stays around like way longer. So basically, the equivalent the equivalent of that is like a strong signal lasts way longer than it should. Um, what we can do is like you could add in um, some code that anytime you know like certain activations go above a, a certain threshold, you can like hold them there for a certain period of time and don't let them go back down to zero, even if they should, or um, you know like slowly uh, anneal them back to where they should instead of just dropping off. Um, that would probably you know apply a similar similar behavior, at least at like the neural level. It doesn't necessarily mean like behavior would be like that of someone on Coke or, or like a stimulant, but it would be a pretty, you know, rudimentary model of how the neuron would yeah. be interacting with, with that need compound. A, need a crackhead computer telling me it needs fucking needs a ride to the fucking trap, the trap store. One of the first like AI drug experiments I did was I had this little like race car learn to race around a track. Uh, and he just learned this using um, like an evolutionary technique, which is uh, I mean, basically just like you have a bunch of race cars, try to drive around a track. Uh, the one that does the best, you take that brain, you randomly modify all the weights a bit, give it a bunch of babies, you know, just natural selection evolution eventually will also spit out an AI. It, yeah, I've seen, a, I've seen them teach him to run. It's yeah, hilarious. That method is not as good as like the calculus method, but it's really simple and could be used for things like this. Um, so I had this car that was able to drive around the net, the network uh, or drive around the track really good. Um, and then like, I sort of did uh, like an early version of that, uh, that tripping sort of shunt in there. And uh, it basically drives like a crackhead when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just swerving and uh, driving really fast. And <laughs> Did it ever get better, like the second or third iteration of it, or did it stay the same? No, I didn't. I didn't have it uh, learning or like evolving while I did that. Just by some limitations so of how it had, had it set up to at see the if time. it could adapt or not. Yeah, it, pro it probably it probably would adapt because I had the like the neurons that were under like the effect would be like certain fixed ones. So it would yeah. absolutely, you know, learn to kind of work around those. And then what happens when you turn it off? Oh, then it would, it, would, it would probably have the same effects. It, it would be like, you know, it's, it, you know, it'd be like it's stuck in a trip. Like it built up a whole bunch of tolerance and then 
and then yeah. now you know you're tripping forever <laughs> <laughs> that could be really really it. good or really really bad yeah but if you kept it learning like after that it would you know probably revert to normal again that's really interesting it's like giving it you know a mental issue that's pretty cool i want a pc with tourette's no, you don't. You already do. You, you <laughs> if you probably look up if you probably look up your Google AdWords, it's fucking terrible. Like, I mean, like, fucking foundational large language models. <laughs> foundational large language models basically already have Tourette's. Like, if you just look yeah. them on, they just babble. <laughs> you gotta align them to be like a chatbot. It's, it's, like Reddit, it's like the average of Reddit, you know. It's like the, the, like the most average word said is like fuck. So yeah. <laughs> that is every that is every motherfucking word out of my mouth. So yeah, exactly. This has probably been one of the more interesting episodes. I really really enjoyed this. This has been a lot of fun. I'd love to have you back on, uh, Zuri, just as like you know our expert. But later on, once we figure out how to do like an expert call-in show, where people could call in and ask experts questions. Would you be something you'd be interested in? Oh, that'd be a really cool format. I would yeah. absolutely be interested. We could have people call in and ask questions to specific experts, and it'll be the the question will be pre recorded. You'll get to listen to it first. Like we'll send it to you the pre the recorded little MP3 and a you know email, and then you'll be able to send it send your pre recorded version back. If people um, start putting their questions on the Discord in the question. Or- Fucking email them to us, but everybody's like, "Will you answer all of our questions?" I was like, "Great, that's we're fine. scared." But we we're s- scared to come on the show and ask questions. Oh yeah, we're now intimidating, Zuri. Do, do you feel intimidated? I'm that very is- intimidated. No, yeah. <laughs> get on the show. Get on the show. My pants. Ask twice. questions. Send them in. Send emails. Yeah. yeah, people are afraid to come on now because we made fun of one guy because he said he was he acted like he was a secret servant agent. <laughs> no it's pretty yeah. this, this has been a blast and you know shooting the shit before before the show oh. is, is is just excellent you guys are great this this has been fantastic it's a good episode feral feral literally had a hard on for this episode all week long <laughs> fuck yeah i have Even i told, like I told him I, when i told him talking to you about it he goes well we gotta have him on i'm like dude he's already on he's like oh hell yes he's like, i told my <laughs> i told my wife about it and she said i'm moving up in the world yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, this is this is very very this is very very neat, uh, and it's really cool too, guys. Like, if anybody has any questions about like AI, I'm sure you could probably get a hold of Zuri if you come into the, the Fafo uh, chat. Uh, it'd be on the Discord, so you can go ahead and uh, let's do our. Everybody says something positive, fucking thing, as we do usually at the end. We're going to start with Deadpool because he's uh, degenerate, and I, uh, go for it, buddy. I don't know, just to. How about just avoid disappointment by giving up hope? Oh, that's motivational. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. That's some good shit. Fuck. Jesus Christ. Don't even try, guys. Just fuck it. Just fuck only, it. only, only spinners quit. <laughs> All right, sorry. What do you have for everybody? Uh, you know, we live in a really cool universe, so just keep on having a good day and keep exploring, everyone. Yeah. See? Coming from me is learn, try to learn something new every day. 
Go out there and discuss something new with somebody every day. Don't be a freaking NPC. And, <laughs> you know, do you need to be the star of your own life. Don't let everybody else in your life outshine you. And uh, that's going to be my nice thing to say to you today. And I didn't really want to get into NPC talk with Zuri because that would probably go to another freaking four hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have him back on to talk about the NBCs. As always, if you would like to get a hold of any sort of cultivation supplies, whether it be grain spy, grain spawn, or substrate, uh, you can get a hold of uh, Deadpool on our Discord. Our Discord is Fafo Cult. Uh, I will send the link. It will be in the show notes and descriptions. Uh, you can get a hold of us at our email. It's going to be fafocult at gmail.com. If you want to send us any sort of financials, uh, money, tips, that kind of fun stuff. We well, frontal nudity. Yeah. We, we promise to use it for debauchery and to keep this podcast going. We do have expenses. That would be our Venmo would be Fafo, at fafocult. Our cash app will be the dollar sign fafocult. If you'd like to buy some interesting, cool Fafo cult like stuff, you can go over to go our Etsy. It'll be the Fafo cult on Etsy. And that link will be also in our Discord uh, and also in the show notes. We'd like to thank uh, Zuri for coming on today and giving Thanks, this uh, very kick ass TED talk. Was really really fun, and we're all going to go back and harass him some more about it uh, in the chat room. So y'all are welcome to come by anytime. Thank you guys, and we love our listeners. Oh, by the way, we've picked up a ton of listeners just in the last like uh, two weeks in Australia. So we freaking oh, love you, Australia. Australia now makes up five percent of our listeners. So yeah, I don't know I'm what done. happened. In, I have no idea what happened in Australia, but there's like. We picked up like 12,000 listeners in Australia. Really? Well, we picked up like 12,000 listeners, uh, like overall average in Australia. So every Australian so, is listening to us right like now. All of, and four kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. I like it. So that's pretty cool. So we've got uh, Indonesia, uh, India, and Australia are uh, making up that whole area we got over there that, that's, that's just really pumping out listeners right now. Love you guys. Uh, if there's anything in particular Australian-ish you'd like to come on and talk about, or Indian-ish, Some or Thailand-ish, yeah, come on and talk to us. We'd love to have uh, somebody from over there on the podcast. And uh, we love you guys. Love our listeners. Happy to have you. And we'll see you in the Discord. Peace.